giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Saran Yadbarak. Hey, Saran. Hey, Ben. How's it going? Good, thank you. So you got started uh, at a boot camp, right? You worked at a startup, and you were like, that programming thing seems cool. I got to go do a little boot camp action. Yeah, sort of. So I feel like I worked at a couple startups um, because I was interested in product, and I wanted to build stuff which is hard to do if you don't know how to build stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like when I tried to get involved in product, it was really hard to have a real opinion. It was hard to make suggestions because I just didn't know how it really worked or should work. And the last startup that I worked for, I kept hitting this wall where we had this platform and we ended up, you know, kind of outsourcing out to this really cheap and very bad dev shop. Um, And it was just a mess. And it was my job to project manage it. And it was so frustrating. And the whole time I kept thinking, if I knew how to code, I could just do this. And I wouldn't have to just sit on my hands and wait and hope that this, you know, random person got it right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that to me was really like the last draw. I said, okay, screw this. I'm going to just quit, learn to code and have that power myself. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't so much uh, the code intrinsically attracting you as like the agency that it would give you if you could do it yourself. Yeah, it was the agency. Like I felt like there's so much power in learning to code and so much power in being able to build what you want to build. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, to your point, Actually, coding is different from just having an idea and seeing it through. And so the idea of coding seemed really attractive, but I didn't know if coding itself would be fun for me. So I kind of put myself through my own little mini boot camp. Mm. So the Flatiron School has uh, a pre-work. It's supposed to be in 100 hours of like code school, treehouse, all these you know online resources you can do for either free or really cheap. And so I quit my job and I said, okay, one month, we're going to do this nonstop, like 8 to 12 hours a day, depending on how angry I got that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and I did that. And I said, holy crap, this is actually as awesome as I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So then I kept with it. Nice. So the early taste was promising. Yes. Very cool. So you ended up at the Flatiron School. Mm-hmm. How was that experience? It was intense. Mm-hmm. It was really, really intense. And it's, it's a hard question because when I talk about my experience, it kind of sounds like an automatic endorsement of boot camps. And I don't necessarily endorse boot camps. Mm-hmm. For me, it was a worthy investment. You know, it, it was a, it was a pretty like high cost too. You know, I think my total loan to code journey meant that I didn't have a salary for six months and meant that the boot camp itself cost $11,000. And then I paid for like, you know, code school treehouse type stuff, which is, you know, 30, 40 bucks a month. So it's, you know, there's a price tag. Sure. Um, and you can't really get like student loans for that kind of thing. So it was all out of pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I got a lot out of it and I got a lot out of it because I coded, you know, at least 12 hours a day, every single day, including weekends. The only break I took was like Thanksgiving and that was it. And so for me, I got exactly what I put in, but a lot of people didn't. Mm. Um, and so I think it's a very personal experience, but for me, it worked out. Mm. Okay. And so what happened next? So I did that. And then when I graduated, they chose two students, myself um, and one of my peers, Vinny, to be the hackers in residence, which Mm -hmm. is a totally badass title I'm very proud of. Mm -hmm. And we worked for the New York Tech Meetup. And so the New York Tech Meetup, uh, which is the largest meetup organization in the world, they've been around for 10 years. They do like a monthly demo night. Tickets sell out like instantly. We have like three releases every month. Mm -hmm. And so they wanted a platform. They wanted a way for people to buy tickets through them. They wanted to have like membership levels and a community and all this stuff. And so myself and one of their developers spent seven months, it was like the residency program, building that out. You said, did you say this is in New York? This is in New York. Oh, mm-hmm. is Flatiron School in New York as well? Yes. Oh, okay. I was thinking that's in Denver. No, no, we're okay. in New York. The Flatiron like Mountains the are Flatiron. in Denver. Ah, okay. So we're thinking like Flatiron District. Okay, different thing. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. <laughs> okay, cool. So Hacker and Resident, that is a great title. Isn't it? Yeah. 
so badass. That's pretty cool. Uh, so when did uh, Code Club get started and Code Newbies and all this stuff? All the stuff. I love talking about all the stuff. So Code Club got started, I think, a month after we graduated. Okay. And, you know, the, the best thing really about a boot camp is it's not just the curriculum and the guidance. It's really the community. Like it's being able to go in every day knowing that there's people who feel just as stupid as you do and who are struggling right along with you and who mm-hmm. you can, you know, high five when things go well. Um, and so like that really was what it was about. And when that was over, you're, you kind of get back to being alone again, which mm-hmm. sucks. Um, and so Code Club and Code Newbie were kind of two very different responses to the same problem. Mm. So Code Club was a response to my personal problem of, okay, I want to level up faster. I want to be a senior developer as quickly as I can. How do I do that? And when I asked people, how do you do that? They said, well, you should read code. And, you know, I think adventures are more fun when you do it with other people. So mm-hmm. I grabbed a couple of friends and I said, hey, let's do this together. And so we kind of made that into a habit and we made it into a thing. Mm-hmm. Code Newbie was my way of solving the loneliness problem for other people. Mm. So, you know, like I said, community is very, very important, especially when you're doing something as, I think, intimidating as learning to code. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like that if you weren't part of a community and if you weren't like in a boot camp type of environment, it's really hard to find other people to support you. And so for, you know, one hour every week, Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern time, you should totally join if you're listening. We do the Code Newbie Twitter chat. Mm-hmm. And the Twitter chat is, um, if you don't know, it's basically using a hashtag to have a conversation. So our hashtag was Code Newbie. And at 9 o'clock every Wednesday night, I would just tweet questions and say, you know, what are you working on this week? What are you stuck on? What language are you really excited about? And it was really an excuse to start a conversation. Mm -hmm. And what I hoped would happen is exactly what happened, where someone would say, oh, I'm also in Alaska learning to code. Hey, I am too. Let's talk about this. Or mm-hmm. I'm also, you know, in the military and trying to learn how to code. Oh my God, I am too. And it was just like all these connections of people who really had no other way of supporting each other. And we became like a really good excuse to start that community. And so I started that about almost a year and a half ago now. And I thought it would kind of last maybe a couple of weeks, a couple of months, but Um, It's taken kind of a life of its own, which is awesome to see. Mm -hmm. And so now that's become a really great community. We recently started a Slack community, Mm -hmm. which is super intense. My my notifications just blow up. I have to put it on Do Not Disturb. It's just insane Mm. um, how busy it gets during the day. Um, And we have our own podcast now and our own online forum. So it's really kind of blossomed into this full community of people. It's really so cool. I I love that you went after the like the human aspect of this. Yeah, like you were, it wasn't so much like uh, what's the best technical thing I can read or like the most amazing project to work on. It was like I got to find some people that also want to do this. Otherwise, yeah. I'm going to be lonely and bored, and it won't be as fun, and it'll uh, more likely to, to to wash out or whatever. Yes, I feel that that's true for actually almost everyone. Um, and yet you, uh, and it was like kudos to you for realizing that about yourself, that how mm-hmm. important that was and, and building that and then wanting to extend that same thing to everyone else. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting because, um, so after the New York tech meetup hack and residence program ended, I started ThoughtBot as an apprentice, mm-hmm. but I had a couple months off between those two jobs. And so for those months, that's when I really ramped up code newbie. And that's when we did the podcast, we've done like 34 episodes now. And that's when we did, like, I actually built out the site and did a bunch of stuff for it. And then when I started ThoughtBot, the first day I walked to the office and I said, oh my God, there's people here. Because like, although I was doing a lot of community building, I was doing it like from my apartment, still by myself, mostly just, you know, quietly working and getting to be physically around people and have real conversations was really exciting. So yeah, I believe in community and every part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but it seems like you're still active with, with these things, like the code newbie. I see you still tweeting it out and, and doing oh, all yeah. that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, so I, you know, I get home 
seven o'clock and then I eat and watch TV for an hour. And then I'm usually working on Kodubi until like one o'clock in the morning. Wow. So. <laughs> really cool. It's, it's, it's interesting. So at Kodubi is targeted, I mean, at newbies, it sounds like, um, but everyone is a newbie in something. So like I found myself uh, learning Haskell recently and uh, the other day I saw the hashtag go by. And I was like, you know, I guess I could tweet code, under code newbie <laughs> about like, my, me learning Haskell. I mean, I've been doing this for a while, yeah. but I, I'm, I'm new at this thing. So everyone has an opportunity to be new at something. And so that yeah. support is there for everybody. It's great. And it's, it's, that's a really good point because we actually have a lot of relatively senior people in the community mm-hmm. who just like feeling helpful. Yeah. You know, who just, I mean... At least every day, you know, maybe even every hour, we get someone saying, I'm stuck on this problem. Can someone help? And that's when a lot of, you know, there's a lot of opportunity to be helpful and be that mentor in real time without necessarily a long-term commitment, which is kind of nice. Yep. Um, so that we have a lot of like, and we also have a lot of people who are well-versed in one particular aspect, but are looking to transition, right? So we have one person I can think of who's very, very fun and heavy, very JavaScript focused and doesn't know much about Rails and is thinking about learning it. So this idea that you're always new and you're always learning has mm-hmm. definitely been embraced by the community. It's so cool to see people uh volunteer their time that way it's like yeah. the open source thing it's like wikipedia it's just like some people get in you know are intrinsically motivated by helping others and doing something and like working on a project and you know there's no money exchange there's nothing like if you look at right. if you look at it it seems like a rational behavior from a certain you know economic <laughs> perspective perhaps yes. um but it's it's just awesome to see when these things kind of coalesce these people just volunteering their time and just doing it because it makes them feel good yeah, we started doing these um, weekly check-ins. We do one for Ruby on Mondays at 9 o'clock Eastern Time. We do it for JavaScript on Tuesdays, and we're going to start one for Python on Thursdays. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, it's like Code Club, but you don't have to schedule it ahead of time. You just kind of show up, and there will be people there to help you. Mm. And the first time we did it for Ruby, I think we had like eight people show up and you know for two hours, and we did like pretty thorough code reviews mm. of each other's code. Mm-hmm. And I was very surprised at how, like you said, open and willing people were to just take, you know, a couple hours just giving feedback. Like nothing, I mean, I guess you're gaining something because you're also learning and, you know, reinforcing those. But still, it felt like such a very selfless, you know, act. And I was very happy to see that. Yeah, totally. But also surprised, yeah, in like the economics way, it's kind of like, huh, why are you doing this? But Mm. thank you for doing it. Keep doing it. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the things that I think of, not as a criticism exactly, but like a, a downside, I guess, of our internet lifestyle is that it's isolating if you let it be. You can do all this stuff on your own in your basement um, without social interaction. Um, and even things like, I feel like certain social networks like Facebook or whatnot, like actually you're sort of isolating in a way. It's like you're connecting with other people, but you're sort of really not. Yeah. Um, and I love that this is the opposite. It's using the internet for a thing. It's like, because we have this communications tool, we can have, you know, real, meaningful, helpful interactions between humans. And that's, that's such a beautiful thing. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing is I'm still trying to figure out what the right platform is for that. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, for, for Code Club, for example, so we opened it up so that anyone can start a Code Club and there's a place to do that on the website. And when I got feedback from it afterwards, I did a ton of customer interviews and just said, you know, what was your experience like? What was interesting is, so it's done through WebEx and there is no like I mean, technically you can turn on your video, but the default is the video is off. Mm -hmm. And I got a lot of feedback from people, specifically women and minorities, who said that they liked that degree of anonymity Mm -hmm. because they felt like they could be open and honest and feel just, you know, they were using kind of their voice and they, there was no chance of being like biased or judged on what they looked like, for example. And I thought that was really interesting. And I think that 
something like Slack, where it's just very chat-based, kind of has that same feeling of there's just enough distance where I can be myself and I can be honest, mm -hmm. but I'm still close enough that I can make a real impact you know, on your life and, and on your work. So kind of finding like what is the way that allows the most people to communicate comfortably without you know, kind of introducing all these other biases that can happen when you are talking to someone in real life. It's, it's an interesting game to play. Mm -hmm. So you have a podcast for Code Newbie. I do. How's that Guess going? what it's called? Uh, code newbie? Yes. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's going really well. Um, it's, it's basically been a really great excuse to meet people, uh -huh. um, <laughs> which has been kind of awesome. But it, it, it's great. It's, it's been fun to get to be like the host. My favorite part is that I get to have all the questions and none of the answers, and people <laughs> still think like I'm amazing, yeah. which is just great. Yep. Uh, when do you ever get to be that person, right? Mm -hmm. So it's been awesome, and it's been, it's been really interesting to see the diversity of voices that we've had, both in terms of like race and gender, but also in terms of experience and backgrounds. And because it is Code Newbie, I don't feel the pressure to have like only senior developers who've been doing this for 20 years, which kind of, you know, like destroys any <laughs> attempts of being diverse. Mm -hmm. um, but I get to really talk to all different voices in tech, which, is, which has been great. Yeah. What have you learned from that? Any highlights? Yeah, I've learned uh, I've learned a lot about interviewing. Mm -hmm. uh, so at, at, for a very short time, I worked at NPR and wrote a bunch of stories and for an interview based podcast. So or an interview based show. So I had this mentality of like I have to have a script and I have to do you know so much research and have all my talking points laid out because that's the way that I wrote for shows. Mm -hmm. And I realized that as the interviewer, I do a much better job the less I know about the person. Hmm. Interesting. Because then it becomes like a very natural conversation where it really does go where I think the listener is most likely to want it to go because I don't really know what they're going to say. And I'm just reacting very naturally. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of interesting to know that, huh, if I prepare less, I actually do better. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. That's a good place to be. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. I found my own uh, preparation has gone down over time. Yeah. Uh, it seems to be okay. Like I used to like basically block off an hour just mm -hmm. to like make sure I watched previous talks and read lots of blog posts and tweets and all this stuff. And I still will do that, but like in a compressed way. Yeah. Generally. And I'm like, okay, I think we're going to roughly talk about these three or four areas. And it seems to still be going okay. We haven't had like a huge uh, revolt or subscriber drop off or anything like that. So I guess it's working all right. Yeah, exactly. Like I'll, I'll do just enough that I'll jot down like a couple big projects they've worked on that I probably want to get into. And, mm -hmm. you know, so I'm not coming in totally blind, but I don't like write the questions ahead of time. I write maybe three notes ahead of time and I try to keep it very, I try to be very uninformed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think some of the best stuff you just kind of wander into, you can't really predict as opposed to like, oh, I'm going to ask them this brilliant question and then that'll take us to this really interesting place. And sometimes you could do that, but I yeah. think the, the organic nature works pretty well. Yeah, I've also learned to interrupt people mm. and that that's okay. Yep. Because all you know, you listen back to the podcast and you're like, man, it would have been really great if I just like cut it off right here and done this a little bit differently. And because, you know, I have a thought, but because in normal conversation etiquette, you want to let people finish and, you know, let them do it. But in podcasting, I think it actually works better when there's a much more natural like interruption and break points. Yeah. Well, and, and as a host, you have a job. That was the thing that I, I had to realize. Like, it is a conversation, but you're actually running a thing kind of. Yes. It's not just a chat, really. Yes. And, yeah. and people don't always know how to how to talk on a podcast. But they don't know if how much they should be speaking, I guess. So, so I've had people like apologize for rambling. I'm like, no, you're good. Like, I, it's like you sort of like they need like a, a person to sort of just keep an eye on. Like, OK, I, I am going to cut you off because you are going on too long. And that's, <laughs> that's OK. I'm going to do it in a way that is polite. And, you know, hopefully no one even really notices that I'm trying to stop you. Um, but you, it's, if, if it's your first time or if you don't really know what you're doing, it's, it's useful. 
Yeah, I got that. I get that too. I get a lot of uh, people who just have really great long thoughts mm-hmm. apologize for rambling. And I'm like, no, that was a really good explanation. That right. should not have been shorter. So it's interesting to, to hear people's critiques of themselves. It's, yeah, it's hard to self-assess Yeah, and for a lot yeah. of things. Yeah, definitely. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean provides simple and fast cloud hosting built for developers you know who are developers? We are developers. And that means DigitalOcean is built for us, which is awesome. So DigitalOcean is available for as little as $5 per month, which is pretty cheap. Uh, we happen to use this here at ThoughtBot, uh, here on Upcase in particular, uh, for our Git server, for our exercise system. It has been uh, very easy to set up. It's been rock solid ever since we put it up there. Uh, we don't think about it at all, which I think is exactly what you want to hear when you think about hosting. It's used by 400,000 developers. That's pretty crazy. It's highly scalable. You can choose whatever OS you want. Uh, if you're into FreeBSD, and I know you are, you can get that on there. Ubuntu, CentOS, Debian, Fedora. Who uses CoreOS? 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 Never heard of it, but you know what? If you want it on your box, you can have it. They have one-click install for things like Ruby on Rails, yes, of course, but also WordPress and Node.js and Drupal and Docker and Django and all these things. These servers are beefy if you need them to be. The 20 CPUs, huge amounts of RAM, 640 gigs of solid state hard drive space. Uh, you can deploy them in different regions all over the place. They have 99.99% uptime, which is probably enough for your project. Uh, yeah, you should check them out. We really thank them for sponsoring the show. If you want to learn more, you can head over to digitalocean.com. When you sign up, make sure to use code GIANTROBOTS with a capital G and a capital R at checkout, and you will get a $10 credit on your account. So thank you very much to DigitalOcean for supporting this show. I'm looking at Code Newbie right now. I think this is a great thing. I'm really glad it exists. I'm glad you did it. Or you started it, and it's happening. And one of the things I think is really great is you have a there's a tagline here which says we're serious about our learning and we're really really nice about it. Smiley face. <laughs> and I think that kind of attitude is underrated, especially when you're new to a thing. That feeling of like these people are also doing this and they're really kind about the way they're going to respond to me. It, as as I've taught more and more people. I've uh, been exposed to this uh, fact, I guess, fact of life, which is that people are actually very afraid of ha- people responding to them negatively when they're new to things. So like, yes. for instance, we have a forum on Upcase, and sometimes people are like, well, I thought about posting this on the forum, but I, I really didn't know if that'd be appropriate. Or a- and and they're-, they're very worried about like, what can you ask and where can you ask it and how might people respond if I ask the wrong thing? And some of that's justified because there are some people that are total jerks and will respond you know, negatively if, if, you- if they view that you have violated what they consider the, the social norm or something uh, but I, I love that you're stressing this side of things this kindness yeah um it's it's interesting because i feel like so you know i have two accounts i have my personal twitter account and then the code newbie account and i feel like when i'm tweeting or really doing anything through code newbie i have to take on a very particular personality mm-hmm. that i had to kind of create where I feel like my role in Code Newbie is to be the cheerleader. Like mm. everything you do, we're going to celebrate it. And yep. you know, we have so many tweets of, of people saying like, oh, I know it's not a really big deal, but I made the background orange today. And I'm like, no, that's awesome. You're crushing it. And like, you have to be yes. that loud totally. and that enthusiastic. Yeah, because people are fragile when yes. they're learning. Like it's, it's, yes. a, it's a vulnerable place to be. Yes. And so you can really crush them with even just like a, a thing they perceive as a slight and you have to kind of just go a complete other direction to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. And to me, what has been a huge sigh of relief is seeing that 
just by being that example, mm-hmm. everyone who participates in the chat, who because we have a, a forum too, we have the Slack community, like everyone who participates has embraced that. Mm-hmm. And I haven't, I haven't really had to do any like disciplining or monitoring or like I haven't really had to put much work into reminding people how to act because they get it. And I think that totally. it comes down to you know if you're really nice, then you I think you attract people with that same mindset. And like we start every Twitter chat with three rules: you have to be honest, you have to be supportive, and you have to be nice. Mm-hmm. And we put that basically everywhere. And I think that people who are like that come in and they just reinforce that environment and it's it's been great i remember um for our so we have a thread on our code to be discourse which is called like introduce yourself and this one person introduced himself and i didn't see i don't remember exactly what he said but he he said something like i'm here because i want to learn and i don't want to make any female friends or something like that and i remember being like and, and I didn't see it at first. Like a couple of people had seen it. And I think like three people had already responded to him within minutes, mm. very politely, but very assertively being like, we don't know exactly what you mean, but that's not really the kind of tone that we take in this community. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. And the guy like ended up, you know, apologizing. And I think he ended up removing his comment. But it was just so great to see them take on that responsibility without mm-hmm. me needing to like step in and like I found out about it after the fact yep. so yeah that's been really great to see I think that's the beauty of, of culture is that it can flow from someone that creates something it comes down yeah. from the top and people emulate it and maintain it and pass it on yeah and you know in the startup community you hear that a lot you hear about like how the culture is set with the leadership and yep. I think I didn't really understand that until this and I was like oh so me being nice really does make you want to be nice too. Right. Interesting how that works. And the wonderful thing <laughs> is, is it, it makes it so you don't have to always be, you don't have to police the forum, right? You created a culture in which that is just expect. like there's certain yeah. standards of behavior that are expected. And so you don't actually need to be on top of that because everyone knows it now. Yes, exactly. That's beautiful. Yeah. What else? This is all what good stuff. I want yeah. to talk about everything. <laughs> uh, I guess I mean we've plugged code to be pretty hard. There's a lot of stuff going on. The Slack one is is tricky mm-hmm. because I think we almost have 400 uh, members at this point, uh-huh. and I've gotten a few people that are like, "Well, we can't see our past archived messages because we've reached our message limit." And they're like, "Would you would you consider paying for it?" And I'm like, mm, "At seven dollars per user per month, mm, yeah, probably not." That's tough. <laughs> I wonder if there's some sort of uh, sponsorship or grant or something that. So the thing after. is, have you seen like this rise in Slack communities? Yeah, big time, absolutely. Yeah, but Slack isn't made for communities. Mm. Like it's just not. At the very least, the pricing structure is not made for communities. So I think we need like a Slack for communities. Mm, that's interesting. With, yeah, that like whose pricing makes more sense than right. seven bucks? Because you know, a seven... corporate team, you're a large, right. loosely organized group of people. Right, exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. There's not like one expense account that you can just put on like, you know, a $2,000 a month charge and it's no big deal. Right. And, and you know, at those, yeah, at that price, even if we could afford to pay it, it's not very, it's not, it's not a motivator to get more people on the platform because right. for every new person I have to, you know, pay another seven bucks a month. Too expensive. So. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I don't think I know anybody at Slack, but we should, uh, maybe they're listening. If you're at Slack and you're listening, get in touch with us or so yes. on. Yes. <laughs> and tell her how she can have a free coupon code for unlimited people. Exactly. That'd be great. Yeah. I mean, that should actually be a pretty easy pitch for them, right? They're a startup. They want more programmers in the world. So that's they true. Be helping you out. And they have like millions of dollars just literally sitting there. So exactly. So I think they can throw me like a little bit. Yeah. That yeah. sounds reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so you recently had, can we, I assume we can talk about this. You had recently had a, a change of employment, I guess you could say. Yeah. So what happened there? 
Um, I got promoted at ThoughtBot as a full-time developer, which I'm very excited about. Congratulations. Thank you. This is, this is, I think, um, the only place I've, I've wanted to work, like really wanted to work. Mm -hmm. It's been like a year and a half in the making. I don't know if you know. Do you know the full story? Uh, I would love to hear this? it. Okay, so when I graduated from the Flyer in School, we had a science fair where all the you know employers come in and we meet them and all that stuff. And that's where I met Trace Wax, who's now the sales director of ThoughtBot before he was the managing director of, Thought, of um, New York City mm-hmm. uh, office of ThoughtBot. And uh, we spoke for all of like two seconds. And I remember he was like, yeah, I'm going to give you a ThoughtBot t-shirt. And he went into his backpack, but he only had like 2XL and 3XL shirts. Mm-hmm. And I know you guys can't see me, but I'm not that size mm-hmm. at all. And, uh, and he gave it to me and I said, great, this is going to make a great 90. So I definitely sleep in it now, which is a lot <laughs> of fun. Um, but, but that was the beginning of, of the ThoughtBot relationship. And then after that, um, I think I went to a couple of happy hours in the New York office. I think a lot of the team saw me speak at RailsConf last year. And then I'm on Ruby Rogue. So like that kind of continued. And then when I was at New York Tech Meetup, one of my coworkers and Trace were like really good friends. So we brought Trace in to kind of help us with some product work. And it was kind of like a very like, on and off kind of relationship for a long time. And then finally the apprenticeship uh, position opened up and then I interviewed and got in. Wow. Been a long time coming. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting how many stories are kind of like that where a relationship mm. starts and then a long time goes by yeah. and then you start working together. Yeah. But that was actually how I came to ThoughtBot. I had met Ooh, Dan. tell me about it. I started going to the Boston Ruby group because I was interested in this. I had a, a, a day job writing code that I hated, um, but I was writing Ruby at night and really enjoying it. So I went to the Boston Ruby group, ended up chatting uh, with Dan Croak. Mm-hmm. Um, time went by, I guess. And he was like, hey, I'm doing the Rails Rumble. Uh, do you want to join our team? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. This is like 2009 or eight or something. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was like, yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. And so I worked on the Rumble with him and one of the ThoughtBotter, I think, and some other people. Uh, but I had a great time with that. And then like more time went by, like another six months or a year or something. And he's like, hey, we're hiring people. Are you interested? Um, and I was like, oh, thank you. But no, I, I, I had gotten a new job, a Rails mm. job that I did like, actually. And so I was like, I'm still digging this. This is cool. And then more time went by. And he's like, hey, we're hiring again. <laughs> and so it was one of these things where it was, it was probably two years from when we first met oh, wow. to, uh, before I actually started at ThoughtBot. Um, but it's, that, it's those long-term relationships, I think, that are really the super valuable ones when you yeah. keep them keep them even like loosely kind of alive and when you do mm-hmm. interesting things with people like i had no idea what i was doing kind of in the rails rumble but i decided i said yes anyway and was like a little intimidated but went for it nonetheless and worked out really beautifully for me i love that i love that you did it even though you were intimidated by it mm-hmm. that's right i try to do that yeah <laughs> that's intentional it's funny because um because you know i've done a lot of speaking in the last year and people think that i enjoy it Mm. And they think that it's easy. And I'm like, no, I freak out every single time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I get really nauseous and my stomach hurts and my hands are usually shaking, but I try to hide them or I just move them around so you can't see that they're shaking. Yep. And you just kind of do it anyway. And eventually you dislike it less. When when I spoke at Bath Ruby, actually, which we spoke at together, which is awesome yeah, to like, finally cool. meet you in real life. Um, that was literally the first time I spoke where I wasn't nervous the first time Hmm. and I've given literally that talk like 10 times yeah and that was the first time where I like actually had a good time doing it Um, and I think it's really important for people to hear because I think that especially for code newbies they think like oh this is hard and I'm uncomfortable therefore I must not be good at this therefore programming is just not for me or I'm not meant to be a programmer Mm -hmm. and it's like no it's hard because it's hard and that's it and I think anytime you do something new that you haven't done before it's going to be uncomfortable and I try to remember that that discomfort 
it means that I'm growing yes. and it doesn't mean that I'm just bad at it. Yep. I, I think willingness to push through that discomfort is one of yes. the most important and underrated skills there is for getting stuff that you want. Yeah. Like every, any useful, awesome thing is going to have some discomfort involved in obtaining it. And yes. if you're willing, if you can get good at, or at least get familiar with that feeling, like yeah. I know this is this discomfort that I feel when I'm learning a thing or I'm asking for something really aggressive, I'm asking for a raise or I'm trying to get this job I'm maybe not qualified for. If you can just become somewhat familiar with that idea and say, you know what, I know, I know this place. I've been here before. Yeah. I know it's temporary. I know this is the cost of getting these things. Mm-hmm. I think that's just such a huge, uh, it's such a huge boon if you can, if you can do that. I like the way you phrase that. This is the cost. Like, this is the price that I have to pay to get that thing that is really awesome. Mm-hmm. You don't have to feel uncomfortable if you don't yeah. want to. Mm-hmm. But the, <laughs> the limits, the scope of what you can achieve in your life it will shrink. Yes. If you never want to feel that discomfort, the, you just, it's just going to be so, it's so hard yes. to get anything awesome done if you don't yeah. get comfortable with those sort of feelings. How do you think you do that? How do you become more comfortable being uncomfortable? I, I think it's like what your talk so your talk mm-hmm. became more comfortable after the 10th time. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's basically it. 10 times. Yep. I think that's basically it. I think to some extent you can get used to it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this is familiar at least. I don't think it ever goes down to zero where you can do these crazy audacious things and you don't feel a little bit nervous and your hands don't shake a little bit. Yeah. And I, I'm for me, I'm always finding new ways to scare myself. Like this, like this boxing match that I'm doing, for example. <gasps> oh, do you box? Are you a boxer? Uh, so I'm fighting in a charity boxing match uh, and Jeez. next week, actually. Wow. Um, to raise money for cancer research. And so, so you have to train for that? Oh, yeah. I've been training okay. like crazy for five months now. Hmm. Um, and so this was just a new thing I'd never tried before. It is unlike anything else I've done and is pretty damn scary. But it's like I'm, I'm here again. I'm like in that spot again. It's like, oh, yeah, I know, I know where this is. This is the scary. <laughs> this is the scary thing where I'm kind of sucking at it at first and it's kind of frightening to do, but it has yeah. kind of an amazing payoff. And I think once I'm through this and done, which, by the way, I'm really looking forward to being done, <laughs> yeah. um, I think I'm going to feel like a million dollars. That's awesome. At least you're fighting for a good cause. You're getting beat up for a good cause. Well, That's... hopefully beating someone else up for a good cause. There you go. Yes. <laughs> Not too badly. Just, you know, Not just enough bad. to win. Yes. There you go. Yeah. So uh, before we go, I want to just talk about uh, your spot on the rogues. Yeah. How's that been going? Um, that is probably one of the most intimidating things I do on a weekly basis because mm-hmm. um, they're also awesome and they've been doing it for so much longer than I have. And and it's interesting because they reached out to me because why did they reach out to me? Oh, because of the cartoon that I drew to get into the Flannery School, um, which is basically like my life story. It's funny because now when when I meet people and they're like, "Tell me about your background," I'm just like, "Here's a link." Huh. And there you go. It makes it a lot easier. So you have a comic of your life, basically? Yeah. Basically, like, how I got into tech and why I wanted to be a programmer. Oh, cool. Yeah. It took, it took like, a, a week to make. Uh-huh. And it was, um, it was the first time I did a digital cartoon. Usually, I just, like, hand-draw stuff. Uh-huh. Um, so if you look closely, there are lots of mistakes. Like, there's lots of, like, you know, very awkward gradient shifts and kind of, like, missing pixels here and there. But uh, but it worked and so James Edward Gray saw that cartoon and like read some of the blog posts I did. And I think he saw that I spoke at RailsConf. And so he invited me to come on um, and talk about like education and my journey and all that stuff. And then after that, they invited me to be like a temporary rogue for like a three month period. Um, and then after that, I took some time off and now I'm back on the show again. And it was one of those things where every, you know, we record on Tuesdays at, at noon Eastern time. And every Tuesday I'm like, all right. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Gonna do that thing that's really uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and that's just how it's gonna be. And it's you know, and I know that it's very helpful to my career, and it's obviously like a great opportunity to get to talk about tech, and it's the right thing to do. 
but that doesn't change the fact that it's still very intimidating. And I think I'm getting more comfortable, like very slowly. And the fact that I do my own podcast helps with that. Uh, But yeah, it's pretty intimidating. Hmm. Well, I I think if I had to summarize this whole thing in terms of useful stuff that we've covered, I think you've accomplished actually a pretty amazingly impressive amount of things in a short amount of time. And I think a lot of that is down to the fact that you're willing to make yourself feel that discomfort and push through it. Yeah, that's exactly. Would you agree? Yes, definitely. Um, I wrote I wrote a blog post about my experience submitting my talk to RailsConf last year. Uh-huh. And when I submitted, I think I'd been programming for a month professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, why on earth would I, you know, be qualified enough to speak, you know, at one of the biggest like Rails conferences. And when I wrote the talk, I think I wrote it a couple hours before the CFP closed. And I remember um, my husband was like watching me. And as I was writing it, I was like, shaking and just mm. terrified and i felt i like every negative you know self-deprecating low confidence thought you could think of was just like hitting me in the face you mm-hmm. know and i was like who do you think you are mm-hmm. <laughs> submitting a talk? what do you think you could possibly tell anyone about rails and, and and you know and the the talk that i ended up giving wasn't you know specific to it wasn't it didn't position me as an expert on rails it was about my story and that was you know on purpose mm-hmm. but even then like there was just there were so many angry thoughts um, that, you know, that came at me and I just kind of like cried through it and kept typing and press submit and then amazing things happened because of it. So yes, I've definitely, I've been willing to jump before I was ready and that's, that's helped a lot. Cry through it and keep typing. Yes. There it is. Episode <laughs> title. The episode title. <laughs> right there. Beautiful. Well, I think that's exactly where we should leave this then. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming by and chatting. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome, and congratulations. Welcome to the team. It's great to have you. Proud to have a badass like yourself uh, on the ThoughtBot team. <laughs> I'm on a team of badasses, so that, that helps a lot. Cool. <laughs> Today's show was produced and edited by Tom Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 147. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.